Kia ora, I'm Vincent Herringer and welcome to This Climate Business. Every week we talk to people turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Follow us on social media and please rate the show as it helps others to find us. Hope you enjoy the programme. The Climate Leaders Coalition has just turned five years old. Its signatories, which include some of New Zealand's largest polluters, are a group of 88 companies that have committed to a climate agenda, and they've notched up some impressive achievements. Collectively, they've reduced emissions by 3.6 million tonnes. That's nearly a 30% reduction since 2018. And this one I found quite interesting. 97% of the signatories have already identified and measured their Scope 3 emissions. Well, to discuss the coalition, its five-year milestone, and how it sees a future under a new government, I'm joined by the convener, Jolie Hodson, CEO of Spark, and by Mike Burrell of the Sustainable Business Council. Jolie, welcome to the show, and congratulations on the achievement. Thanks, Vincent. Yeah, really proud of what the coalition's achieved over the last five years, that real um, collective movement and ambition to keep doing more and to lift the bar. Jolly, you mention uh, in the report that you've lifted your sights more than three times in those last five years. What's changed? I guess when we really look at it, when we set out in 2017, when the coalition first came together, um, the international policy and I guess science has shifted through that time. So as we've come to understand that, so for example, originally we had a target of sort of keeping um, our warming to uh below sort of two degrees, then it shifted to one and a half degrees. The um, requirements around what we would disclose, um, the measurement of those have also moved. And so what has happened with the ambition is each of those steps has meant that we've, I guess, kept lifting the bar of what we expect. So if we look forward to September 25, when the last of the transition of this latest statement uplift is required, we'll be measuring scope three and reporting on that, which is really getting into the much harder components of working with your suppliers and customers in terms of really understanding that whole value chain of where emissions are and the work that we need to do together, which is why I think the coalition is such an important component. It's about how we collectively come together also and work with government to make sure the right frameworks are there. Mm. That that statement has also required us to look at the nature um, risks as well as climate risks. So that's been a change in more recent times as well. And also has moved as the disclosure requirements have shifted to with XRB. As for us, it's around those nature risks. That's a, a component of it. There's a reality too in terms of now that we're into scope three, we are into the really more difficult components of, of shifting the dial. And so there's a lot of actual operational activity that has to occur right back up into your supply chain. If you think about us as an organisation, we build a so spark, we we buy a lot of our network offshore, our products. So understanding on a, on a global sense what's happening back in our supply chain and making sure that we're comfortable from an um, emissions perspective right through to working with our customers yeah. or if you think about an agricultural sense, what's happening there in terms of as we start to think about on-farm and um, biogenic uh, emissions reduction, that's an important part given it contributes roughly half of New Zealand's emissions. Yeah, well, we'll come back to farming later, um, but uh, the report talks about a shift towards nature-based solutions. What do you mean by that? Are you talking about biodiversity? Yeah, biodiversity, you're also looking at, I guess, the implication of climate on nature and nature <laughs> climate and how you have a more integrated strategy. So if you right. think you're building a for example, a, a hydro generation plant, what's the impact on the local 
um, uh, water flows, the diversity within that? How do you actually make sure that your whole plan, I suppose, deals with, I guess, um, uh, whether it's planting in different areas or, or looking at the things that you can do through nature that will help offsite, offset some of your climate risk or vice versa? That's where the thinking is shifting more. It's around how do you integrate all of those and integrating them into everyday operations. I can talk of leading a large organisation. That's not easy to, it's easy to say and it's easy to write down. It's actually much harder to make sure that that's happening throughout everything you do. And I think that's the real step forward I see as we go through this next phase. A lot of it's been around how do we measure what's the right sector um, uh, remission emission reduction pathways now it's shifting into you know very much the actions that are going to help support that and I think a real recognition too that it's cross-sector that needs to occur so if you think about um, the recent devastating events of say Cyclone Gabriel what we learned as an industry is that we you know the heavy reliance on both electricity um, and road infrastructure for fibre you know when those things are impacted they impact our sector uh, so how do we make sure that the plans ahead when we think about both nature and climate risk, how do we make sure that we're, we're building and thinking together about where the right areas for that infrastructure to exist? So I think that's the level and shift that we're seeing in thinking. And that's what we want to see more of, um, especially when you think about the through de- decarbonisation, the electrification of this country is going to be substantial. We already you know, sit at around 80% of um, electricity is renewables. We want to lift the bar there. And of course, that means everything from the network right through. There's a real opportunity, uh, but what it needs is clarity around the framework and the consenting regulations and all those components. So so it is a, it does require work together. And that's mm-hmm. what I think the coalition really does well. And what we've right from the start advocated with government around is how do we work together on the settings to make yeah. sure there's clarity, particularly when you're laying down significant investments. Because if you look at the coalition from 2020 to 2030, we're talking about $19 billion of investments in, in helping um, to make the shift. That's not a small amount of money, but what businesses need is real clarity around under what conditions are is that being invested. Oh, well, that's actually a brilliant segue. Thank you, Jolie, uh, for me to ask Mike Burrell a political question. Um, as we record this interview, we don't have a government yet, but at least one party act has indicated that it wants to remove some of those key building blocks, the Zero Carbon Act, the Climate Change Commission, the Emissions Reduction Plan, all of which I think has had strong business support. And in fact, your organisation has had a hand in creating those. So that sounds a lot like less certainty in the framework rather than more. To what extent, Mike, are you worried about the ground rules changing? Yeah, look, a good question. Um, I think the first thing to say is we were very pleased to hear Prime Minister-elect Christopher Luxon say on a number of occasions and very publicly and in their statements that they are going to keep the policy framework. They're going to keep the targets, the Zero Carbon Act, they're going to keep the targets that are set within that. They're keeping the Independent Climate Change Commission. They're keeping the um, the, the processes that sit within that, so the, um, the five-year budgets. All of that stays, and they've been very clear publicly and all in conversations that we've had with them as well in the lead-up to the election that they are absolutely um, sticking with all of that infrastructure. You, you've got to remember, um, you know, Christopher Luxon's background, you know, as um, the CEO of Air New Zealand, he was one of the co-founders of the Climate Leaders Coalition. 
and he's very committed to um, to those objectives. And I know that his um, his spokesperson is as well. So that's that's good for us. Um, and we've had um, only yesterday we had uh, the spokesperson for climate um, for uh, national. So um, Simon Watts was actually at the event. And again, reiterated um, that they are committed to those uh, to those targets. Yeah. What will change is that, and you would expect this, is different different political parties have different approaches to how they achieve things. Um, their approaches they've laid out will be more more business centric, more market centric. Now, that's not to say that they will only use um, the ETS. They've said that they will use the ETS and other measures as well. We take some um, some comfort from that. Having said that. Other political parties have said that they would do away with the act, et cetera. So we've been strong to say, if you look globally at those countries that have done the best job of decarbonising and growing their economies at the same time, so that's the UK, that's uh, it's, it's Germany, it's many parts of Europe, it's um, increasingly the US, um, what have they done? What they've done is they've set the framework, uh, a market for carbon, and they've taken early runs where they can find them to bend the curve as quickly as they can. And so all we're saying is let's follow best international practice and and lead out in exactly the same way as um, you know our OECD colleagues are doing. So I think uh, in that respect, we will continue to hold governments to account. And we, uh, that was spoken about very strongly last night, which is to say, regardless of the, uh, of the political strip of the, of, the, um, of the government of the day, we will hold them to account and say, we need certainty. Uh, or for businesses to be able to make the very large investments that Jolie was just talking about, those billions of dollars that need to be made. We can't have this, you know, backwards and forwards of policy on the big items because we need that certainty. So that's what we'll be, we'll be asking for. And Jolly, I guess so much has been invested already by companies counting their carbon uh, and making plans for uh, their emissions and their mitigations, I, I presume that that's a cost that you don't want to see wasted. Well, I think there in the um, emissions reduction and sort of enshrined in law, the we um, Mike talked about the Zero Carbon Act. Uh, we've got the Climate um, Commission as well, and so an independent body that looks at. So I yeah. think they're all things that help support the architecture. But you're right to gear up to be able to meet the requirements to understand them understand your baseline in an organisation because the big thing is really about movement. You, you know, you start where you start and really what you're looking for is how do you move forward? So, of course, if that was to change um, it can, it, or it was inconsistent, the amount of work that goes into it and also the ability to really understand are we making progress or not, to me that feels like an inefficient way of um, <laughs> dealing with a, you know, a really significant issue for this for this country and globally. One thing that impressed me with the report was to see just how many of the companies, pr pretty much all of them, are now measuring uh, their Scope 3 emissions. And that's a big jump from even just three years ago, where only a third of the companies were doing that. What's made the difference here? What's going on? That is measuring the significant or the material um, Scope 3 emissions, I guess, for each of the businesses. And then, of course, you then move into, okay, what actions, what targets do you set? And so part of that, again, is building that base understanding. But you're right, there's a big jump. It's also like the disclosure. So the, um, the climate risk disclosure is part of our ambition. Not all companies in New Zealand would need to report that. The large ones do. But what we're seeing is people... In signing up to the ambition, they're signing up to the different components. And, and we've always been around transparency. 
and and with transparency you can measure what's happening around ambition and and you can see how we're making progress or areas that we need to focus on particularly the last two years I feel like we've we've invested heavily too in the things that support our signatories to move so master classes business mentoring mm-hmm. uh, the the way we bring the different um, groups together to share information. And I think yeah. for me, as I look ahead for the next five years, the really big thing will be the cross-sector work and how we work together to really attack those sort of gnarly issues that that aren't going to be easy to solve. But it isn't something that you can push down the road for someone else to come along and do. As business leaders, the time is now and we need to act. Okay, well, let's talk about agribusiness, which obviously has had such a high or does have such a high contribution to our greenhouse gas emissions as a country. And the issue being methane, right, which is hard to abate. And currently there's no easy technology or technical solution to that. The question as I see it, I suppose, is that they can't meet the minimum standards to become signatories to the coalition. Can they be members? And if so, how are you going to deal with them? Well, so we do have some significant primary sector <laughs> businesses within, so Fonterra, Silverfin Farms, Ansco Foods, Sinlay. Um, and what we're seeing there in terms of the scope one and two, they've absolutely got ambitions there on the scope three. Um, one of the things we've been really pleased to see this year is the public-private partnership with the government, which is called Agri, recently called Agri Zero New Zealand. That is focused Um, mostly on the research and development required around, I guess, biogenic methane and reduction and how do we actually help um, farmers to actually reduce those emissions. Because to your point, not all the technology is here today. You know, large agriculture is something like 50% of the exports of New Zealand, if not more. So it is important that we find a way to move that forward, but we've also got to recognise where we are. So the reality is around making sure that we're seeing the movement from our members in terms of that investment and, and working together. I suppose you could just get them to reduce their herd sizes. That would work. Yeah, so Vincent, just just to build on what Jolie was just saying, though, um, I mean, I think Jolie's being a little bit uh, polite here. We, you know, <laughs> we, we were, in, in the sense that we were we kicked off the AgriZero project, and that was an idea that uh, SBC and CLC led out on and, in fact, convened a group of uh uh, of the CEOs and challenged them and said, what what could you what are you leaving on the table? What could you do more of? And they said, well, actually, what we could do is a lot more applied R and D and also taking existing technologies and adapting them to a pasture based agricultural system as we have in New Zealand. And so we're expecting to see really significant changes coming out of AgriZero. It'll take a while to build because a lot of the things that we have to either adapt to relatively challenging feed situations, but but that's only the beginning because there, the whole idea of that is uh, public-private partnerships, both here and globally. So you'll be, you'll see, I think, a lot of change there. And if you look at the AgriZero targets, they're double to triple what the mandatory targets are. So the whole mm-hmm. idea is to bend the curve a whole lot faster through the use of technology and farming systems and and breeding as well. So it's not taking a sort of single approach, it's taking a multitude of approaches. And let's remember the amount of money that's being spent in that is five times what was being spent on on an annual basis for the previous 10 years. So this is not an insignificant amount of investment. You know, that's that's an example of the sort of collective action that we think can happen if you have such a strong base of members like we do with the CLC. You're thinking that this cooperative approach uh, is a much more effective approach than exclusion and punishment, the sort of the carrot rather than the stick. 
Well, we have a stick, and the stick is the market. Um, you know, the market is being very, very clear. Uh, I mean, you know, I, if I talk to uh, you know people in, in the leading companies, they'll just say, "Look, we it, we want to do this because it's the right thing to do. You know, it is the right thing to do uh, for New Zealand. But even if we didn't think it was the right thing to do, we'd still have to do it because our customers are demanding it, uh-huh. and the markets that we're exporting into are demanding it. Mm-hmm. Let's be very clear here: if we did not do this, we would not be able to trade into the EU under the trade agreement that we now got with the EU. If we didn't do this, then pretty soon we'd be out of North America. We'd be out of parts of Southeast Asia as well. The market's demanding these things, and if you think of some of the biggest customers like um, you know Nestle and others, they are saying, you know, um, we will just s- stop. Stop buying your product yeah, uh, yeah. Do this because you're our scope three. We're inheriting your problem. You have to. So, so just as our companies have to uh, say to their uh, suppliers, actually, you're part of our problem now. We need to help you to address your uh, emissions mm. uh, because we inherit them through our scope three measures. Exactly the same thing is happening with our customers in Europe. So um, this is this is about economics. This is about business. And once it becomes about those things, then you see this massive reallocation of capital. Jolie, I'm curious to know, how does climate change affect Spark as a digital services business? As a digital service provider, our emissions, are 80% is linked to electricity, effectively. Right. And if you think about what's happening um, in digitisation of the economy generally and the shifts we're seeing in virtually every industry, every area, the investment of digital infrastructure that's required both in data centres and new technologies like 5G um, are very important. So they will use more electricity. At the same time, we've got uh, other components of our networks, so the fixed networks, where we're retiring legacy, you know, less efficient legacy technology. So our equation is always about how do we make sure that we are working on the things we can within our organisation. We're enabling New Zealand, because if we don't enable that digital shift, uh, then, you know, you'll see other emissions turn up in different ways. But we're linking our electricity purchasing to to renewables. So we're helping to underpin some of the investment that will need to be made in greater generation of renewables, the distribution grid, I guess, to some extent, if you think back through that chain. So what we've thought a lot about is what do we need to do in our own organisation to make sure our people, um, our customers are understanding how we're shifting, but who do we need to work with um, in our supply chain to make sure that we are doing the most we can to reduce emissions out of our footprint? Because things like fleets and things like that, we're already working heavily on it, but our biggest by far is electricity. It's so interesting. So you're thinking about procurement as kind of part of one of the levers of change, that as a big player in New Zealand, you actually you you can have a disproportionate effect just by the way you spend. Yes, and so if you look at our um, our Scope 3 target, it is around, uh, in, in the short term, our short-term target for 2026 is around 70% of our suppliers by spend having a science-based target. So what yeah. that means is, if that's happening, we know that they've got their sectoral uh, target reductions in place, um, as do we, because it's a bit like Mike's point, what what is their sort of two is our three. And so, you know, you keep going like that around. Um, so the way we can influence is the way in which we procure um, and how we think about that and who we work with. And so we also work with an entity called the Joint Audit Corporation, which is used by um, our industry globally. And what it means is you bring together again the weight of the industry to ensure that both from a it goes through modern slavery, but it also looks at all the components, you know, increasingly around how around emissions and how do we actually get greater data out of what's happening in 
the places that we're procuring from. So that's the influence I think we need to have. And then also from our consumer point of view and thinking around how are we making sure everything we're doing either in store or packaging those things we're doing the most we can to move that forward our, our agenda is is significant in the sense that these things are all interconnected but the good thing for business is is that because they're all interconnected they also serve one another the point that jolly was making earlier which is you know around nature-based solutions for example that that does double duty right it helps you with your decarbonization journey but it also helps you in terms of what you want to achieve for, um, for nature as well so i mean that you know, the, the negative spin is when it becomes really challenging because all these, all these things are interconnected. The the positive way of viewing it is is actually once you start moving this 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 great big machine, actually it speeds up and becomes easier and easier because they are all interconnected. It's exactly the same as running a business, right? You get the basics right, and a lot of it starts to flow. There's also opportunities. So if you think about our Internet of Things business, um, almost fifty percent of those revenues are associated with with climate in some form or sustainability in some form. And that's been a um, you know, significant growth for us over the last few years right. because yeah. it, it's often referred to like the skin of the planet because what it's doing is sensing what's happening in different, whether it's water quality, um, uh, you know, whether it's different components of agriculture that you want to measure and sending that insight back to uh, the business to actually make decisions about what it wants to do. So there are opportunities that arise too out of um, out of these shifts that we're seeing. And the reality is it's how you make the most of those while at the same time making the choice changes you need to make in your operational footprint. Can I just build on what Jolie's just said? Because I think too often we look at this through a compliance lens and actually uh, companies like Jolie's one, but many others as well are saying, actually, this is where the world's going. This is a real opportunity. And just like those two huge IT revolutions that we've been through, this is another revolution. And uh, so I see massive upside here for New Zealand, partly because, you know, we're building off such a, a really strong base. We're very fortunate to have enormous scope for um, you know, having a very green uh, energy sector, which is fantastic. Many countries just don't have that option. They're going to have to buy credits or they're going to have to import green energy. We can produce it possibly even export it. So that's a fantastic place to start. We've got a relatively, we've got a small population relative to our land mass, and that's not even taking into account our, our, our massive uh, areas of, uh, of ocean. So put it this way, if New Zealand can't make a green economy work, no <laughs> one can, because you know, we've got match. So in that respect, I do think that we have a, a responsibility globally to actually lead out because we are, we have got these fa fantastic natural endowments that we can build upon. And I think, uh, and we should, and that will make us internationally competitive. And so in the end, all of these things come together because, you know, when you think about sustainability, one of the pillars, you know, uh, people, planet and profit, right? And so actually get the other two pillars right and the profit piece comes. So to Jolie's point, innovation and, uh, and opportunity is really what this is about. The stick will become less and less important. It's the carrot. It's everybody going after that opportunity. And you're seeing that in all, across all of our sectors. And that makes it really exciting. Uh, Mike Burrell and Jolie Hodson of the Climate Leaders Coalition, thanks for your time and congratulations once again on a great achievement. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō. Thank you.